Good morning, church. You probably, if you grew up in church, you probably have heard this story before, correct? Growing up in Sunday school, you probably heard it. Or like me, anybody watch the Veggie Tales? Veggie Tales, like the talking vegetables. They also had an episode of the big chocolate bunny. That's the image I get, the big chocolate bunny. But anyways, regardless of whether or not you know it, I want us to be able to come to the scripture today with fresh eyes um, and allow God's spirit to speak to us today. Um, My question as we um, go through this passage is, what does it take to stand for God when everyone else around us caves in? And if you do, if you are that person that does, will God keep you out of the fire? And this is our main focus as we study God's word today. Uh, Let us pray, please. Father, we are so grateful for this morning that you have given us. We are so grateful that we, your people, may be able to gather here in your presence to worship you and to learn from your word. Speak to us today, Holy Father. Speak your word to us today. We want to know you more. We want to understand who you are We want to know your goodness and your faithfulness through your word, Lord. We know that you are, but we want to know you more, Father. Show us your word today, Lord. Let us understand it and let us be able to apply it in our lives, Lord. We don't want to be forgetful hearers today, but we want to be doers of your word. Holy Spirit, speak to us. We are listening. Counsel us through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's look at the event, the event. So we we read in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, that King Neb, I'm going to call him King Neb, okay, because it's just much shorter to say. King Neb creates this, makes this image of gold, whose height is 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits, which really, um, I'm going to explain what that is. What, what scholars believe is that this, this image has, was influenced by Daniel chapter 2. Remember last week, Pastor Willem talked about how Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and nobody could tell him what the dream was or what it meant, but Daniel, God revealed it to Daniel. And Daniel was able to interpret this dream to the king. Praise God, amen? And the dream was... uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of this image, this statue of this great man that had four different types of metals, correct? And the top metal, the head, was made out of gold. And so Daniel says, well, the the metals were represented to different empires that that were present and to come. But the head of gold represented the empire of Babylon, King Neb. So Daniel says to King Neb, hey, you are the head. You are the golden head. It represents Babylon. But here's the, sad, here's the bad news here. Other kingdoms are going to come. Your kingdom is not going to last forever. And so there's going to be others. And there will be one that will remain forever. And then at the end of chapter 2, we see King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, 
truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. Oh, you almost think that he's, you know, he's repented and he's humbled himself by this revelation that God made to him. But unfortunately, it was very short-lived. It seemed that this dream got to him. <laughs> it seems that he, he, he was enticed by this dream to build this golden image. Nebuchadnezzar had not really learned very much from this revelation of God. Instead of humbling himself by this, he exalted himself. He was filled with pride. So he made an image, and this didn't start right away, by the way. It didn't start the next day. It took some time between chapter 2 and chapter 3. So he created this image, and in chapter 3, we see that it was 60 cubits by 60 cubits, which in our language, it's 90 feet by 9 feet, and it was made of gold, but it was probably plated gold. It wasn't solid gold. Back then in the ancient times, they would create these images out of wood, and then they would plate it with gold, and that's probably how it was, plated with gold. So he made this image, and by building this image... King Neb is directly saying to God, me forever. My kingdom will never end. It's all about who? Me. Sorry, God, you got that revelation wrong. It's me forever. Neb wanted his kingdom to last forever. This was a direct opposition to God, towards God's declared plan. Remember? Remember at the end what, Daniel, that what it says? It says that, I'm just going to quickly go back and tell you, that it's a sure thing. God said it. It's a sure thing that it is going to happen. In other words, nothing is going to stop this from happening. But King Neb thought he had the power. He's like, no, 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 no. My kingdom is going to stand forever. So he builds this image. The prophecy was the kingdom's of man come I'm sorry I'm talking too loud <laughs> the kingdom of men come and go but the kingdom of God stands forever his kingdom is an eternal kingdom his kingdom is not made of hands his kingdom will last forever so with this image came a test. And I want us to see, I did not put this up, but I need you to follow along on your iPhone or on your Bibles. In, Jan, in, in chapter 3, in verses 2 and 3, it says, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar set to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, the magistrates, and all, say all, all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Neb had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, the magistrates, and all, say all again. I'm only doing that so you can stay awake and stay with me. All the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And they stood before this majestic image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I'm almost thinking of New York. You know New York? What's there? What's the statue that is super tall? And the Statue of Liberty. Wow. Right? This, this huge statue. 
So he, you see that things get repeated, right? He wants to make sure the reader understands that this is a very important event. All, everyone, all, all, everyone that works for his government were invited to come to this uh, dedication of this idol, of this image. He wants us to know that this is just not a simple idol worship. No, he wants to make sure that everyone comes. And then there's this herald proclaims a message to the king, which is in verse 4 and 5, that he says in verses 4 and 5, that, and the herald proclaimed out loud, you are commanded, commanded, oh, peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear, the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe. I didn't know there were Scottish people back then. No, I'm just kidding. The bagpipe. And every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image. There was that command that when they heard the sound, and it gets repeated again. It goes, therefore, as soon as all the people heard Again, there's this emphasis on music, the importance of music in this uh, worship of this image. And it's on a side note, music is very powerful. And it can be used to manipulate people. It can be used for evil. But it also can be used for good because God is the one that created music. And he is alone is worthy to be worshiped and praised with all our songs. Amen and all instruments. So that's just a little side note here. But they were commanded, when you hear the sound of music, when you hear it, you need to, either you bow down or you burn. There is a choice to be made. The choice is yours. This isn't just any other event or idol worship. This is going to be a test of allegiance to the king. This, Im this image is a symbol of national identity. Uh, Babylon exalting its own power, its own culture, its own military life. It's their kingdom. King Nebuchadnezzar saying it's my kingdom. Whatever I say goes. And I want to see if you are, are loyal to my kingdom, to me. Because remember, Babylon Many nation, nations have been cat, captured. So how many of these people, these nations, are actually loyal to the king of Babylon? Right? So this is a recognition of its authority. This is the king's command. And if you don't bow down, if you don't bow down, you will be charged with treason. So this is a test of loyalty to all the nations, to all people that are living in Babylon, all the, the government officials. But what is it to the Jews? The, the Jews that have been, have, the Israelites have been captured. It is a test of obedience to Yahweh, the living God, the God of heaven, like we learned last week. It is a test to the God of heaven, and it makes us question where is our loyalty? Where is your loyalty? And who do we pledge allegiance to when we are tested? First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 7 says, 
In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, and that's such an important thing, for a little while, it isn't forever, it's a season. For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the test, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through its, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we rejoice in this because we know it is only for a little while that we are being tested and that these tests um, test the genuineness of our faith. Their test, their faith was being tested. Specifically, our three young Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we don't know where the other Jews were. Perhaps they were not there that day. We know that Daniel was not there that day because he is not mentioned in this chapter. But this was a test to these three young men. This is a test even for us when we go through trials. A test of our, the genuineness of our faith. How do we know we have faith if we don't go through problems? Right? Everything is so honky-dory. Everything is so good. And, you know, when everything is roses and sunshines, oh, it's so easy to praise the Lord, isn't it? But when those tests come, where do you put your faith in? Are, are, you strong, are you looking to the God who gives you the strength when those doctor reports come in, when you receive the bad news that you did not want to receive, when you lose your job and you don't know where your finances are going to come? Who do you trust? Those are tests of faith. Not everything is going to go well for you. Just because you profess to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, does not mean that life is going to be easy. On the contrary, our faith will be tested. And Jesus promised, Jesus said that there will be trials, that there will be hard times. But take courage that I have overcome. Amen? Amen. So their faith was being tested. See, God cares. And we did a study on James in the book of James, right? It talks about trials. God cares about our character. He cares about the genuineness of our faith more than our comfort. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 7, the crowd responds. What do they do? Do they like, ah, I don't trust. I don't, I'm not going to. They did not, right? It says, therefore... As soon, say as soon, as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all, say all, all the peoples, nations, and languages, see the different, the different nationalities, the different people that were captured, all of them fell down and worshipped. The, the golden image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, we don't really know what this image was. It could have been him. I don't know. But it, the, the Bible doesn't say what this image is. But all we know, this was this image, this massive image. And when everyone heard the music, they all bowed down and worshipped. There was an immediate response of obedience to the king. And it makes us question. It makes us ask the question, again, what 
is my faith grounded on? What was their faith grounded on? They obviously believed in something to be able to automatically obey. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was their love of the music. Oh, this music is so beautiful. I'm just going to bow down, you know. Maybe it was that. You know, people put their faith in a lot of things. Unbelievers have faith. The difference is, is the object of their faith. Warren, I'm going to try to pronounce his name, Resby, Resby, has this really good quote, and it says, the worshipers of Daniel chapter 3, yes, okay, the worshiper of Daniel chapter 3 help us better understand the flight of people in today's world who don't know our Lord Jesus Christ. They blindly follow the crowd and build their lives on the false and the futile. Concerned only with survival, they'll do almost anything to escape danger and death, even to the point of selling themselves into slavery to men and to the empty myths and promises that they promote. Wow. The futile. They put their trust on the false and the futile. Do we not see that in our society today? Do we not see that in, in our communities today? The tendency of humankind is to follow the crowd and to follow the way of the world, maybe because it's easy and maybe because you don't need to stand out. Stand out, So you just blend in. But it's different for us believers. We put our faith in a God who has revealed himself to us through his word. Our hope is a hope that extends beyond this life. It extends beyond the threats. It extends beyond the sufferings. We have a greater hope than this world can ever offer us. It is what drives us. It is what stabilizes us. And it's what keeps us from falling down and staying down. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus our Lord who is our firm foundation that we can be shaken but not moved amen he is our hope and the problem is we often have our eyes on the material on the things of this world instead of our eyes on our eternal home which is with our Lord Jesus Christ and that is why when suffering comes we are weak and we fall and we we get disappointed and we leave our faith why because we think that this world is going to last forever, but it's not. We are just vacationers. <laughs> we are just here for a time being. Our real kingdom is with God our Father. It is with our Lord Jesus. And that is what brings us hope in times of trials and tribulation. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our firm foundation. I don't know what you are going through, but I, I encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus. He is what you need. He is the strength that you need. He is the joy that you need, the hope that you need. It is him who comforts us through our times of difficulties. Amen? Keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep on following Jesus. Even if, even if we are the only ones standing in the midst of the crowd, 
let us keep our eyes on the kingdom. We have a earthly, we have a heavenly home. Amen. And then there's this accusation that, was bring, that is brought up against the three young men. Look at verses um, 8 to 12 says. Therefore, at that time, these certain Chaldeans, they came forward and it says maliciously. They were looking for something to accuse these, these Jewish people of. Because you know why? What rem what remember who remembers chapter 2? What happens? Daniel gets what? Promoted. And same with his three friends. Come on. They outsiders. How did you, how did they get promoted and not us? So they get singled out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get singled out because they were jealous, to be honest. There was some jealousy there. And, in ver and then there's three accusations made in verse 12. <laughs> oh, King Neb, they pay no attention to you. <laughs> they do not serve your gods. And they don't worship the God, the golden image that you have set up. Three, three attacks, three accusations. With thousands of government officials present, it would have been easy for them to be overlooked, but they weren't. They were singled out. They knew that they would probably be discovered, but they weren't trying to hide. But nor were they protesting. They just refused to participate in sin. That's all they did. They weren't protesting. They weren't being loud about it. They just refused to participate in sin. And of course, they were noticed. As soon as a believer, your life will be different. It will look different because you what does Matthew say? What does Jesus say in, in Matthew chapter 5? That you are the light of the world. If you light a candle, you're not going to put it under your, your nightstand, are you? You're not going to put it under something. You use a light to let the light shine in darkness. And that's who we are. We are the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. We are to shine our light in the midst of darkness. And that is why we stand out. There is something different about you compared to everyone else. Your smile is bright. You're joyful in the midst of trials. Why? Why are you so joyful? Why do you smile so much? Why do you care about me so much? Because it's the love of Christ inside of me. That's what it is. Whoops, I'm too excited. That's what it is. Jesus said that you are the light. Let it shine. And when you're the light, you're going to be noticed because you're not darkness. You're exposing the darkness. You're expelling it out. Praise God. Amen. This is so encouraging to me. Now there is the interview. The interview. This is the response. What does the king say? What does he say? The king in verse, verses 13, he's like, he's furious. He's like, what? Oh, my goodness. I, I'm not He gets so angry because why? He expects total obedience. They're going against the king's command. And he's so prideful. So he's furious that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't obey his command. And in verses 14, Nebuchadnezzar asks them something. He's like, 
Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Technically, he should already know that they don't serve his gods, right? Since Daniel chapter 1, he knew that. So now he's acting all surprised. Wait a minute, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I mean, they, were, they, were, they, they, were, they worship all kinds of God. They weren't saying you weren't allowed to worship Yahweh. But you also need to worship my God too, right? Worship all the gods because we don't want them to get angry at us. So we're going to make sure that they're happy. Just worship all the gods. But he's like, what? You don't. He gives, them an, he gives them a chance to answer. Tell me, is this true? Now, here we go. Okay, here's your chance. Because you probably didn't understand. Let me explain it to you again. Let me explain to you the situation again. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound, okay, you got to hear the sound. When you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, see again, the rep repetition, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made. This is well and good. If you do it, great. That's what you need to do. Come on, Meshach, Rashak, and Abednego. You've got to do this. But here you go. But, here's that big word, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into, the, into a burning, fiery furnace. He's making sure you understand. Big, fiery furnace. And here you go. He gives God a challenge. He's testing God here. And who is the God who would deliver you out of my hands? He thinks he's God, doesn't he? He thinks he has all the power, doesn't he? <laughs> so he's furious and he gives them a chance to save their lives so I, I don't think you understood boys listen men I'm going to give you a chance when you hear the music bow down that's going to be good for you don't you want to live you have all your life you're a young man but listen I don't think you understand the consequences if you don't this is what's going to happen to you you know and <laughs> They could have given reasons why they, they wanted to save their lives. They could have confirmed, conformed. They could have wanted to save their lives. They were young men. They had everything to live for, correct? They could have justified their reasons. I mean, it's their lives. It would be foolish. In our society, we would say they were foolish. Who cares if you bow down? Just do it, right? So here's some excuses, eight excuses that they could have used they could have said, okay, we will bow down, but not actually worship. We're just going to just do the, it doesn't matter. Um, we, will, we will do it just this one time, and then we will ask God for forgiveness. King, okay, King Nebuchadnezzar has all absolute power. We must obey him. God will understand. <laughs> okay. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the one that promoted us. He gave us this position. Uh, we owe it to him. Okay, we'll just, we'll just do it. Or, this is a foreign land, so God will excuse us from following the co customs and of the land. I mean, everyone else is doing it. He will understand. 
or our ancestors set up idols in the temple, this isn't half as bad. Or we're not hit, we're not hurting anybody, right? Or last one, if we get ourselves killed and some pagans take over our high positions, they won't be able to help our people. <laughs> See, these, re these reasons seem very reasonable, don't they? They seem like, yeah, these are actually really good points. You know, I'm going to think about that. Maybe I should bow down. But the problem is the danger of these rationalizations. They knew, they knew to bow down would be going against God's law. God's first two commandments in Exodus chapter 20 verses 3 to 5 says what? You shall, you shall have no other gods before me. And number two, I'm just paraphrasing, you shall not make yourself any graven images. So you shouldn't create any images you shouldn't, and you should not have no other gods before me. They knew those two commandments. And here's the thing. God had already made something in his image. Did you know that? The reason why humans are here, Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28 says this. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. This means here on earth, we are the reflection of his image, his nature, his character. Reflection, yes was broken at the fall to an extent, but Jesus came to restore it. Amen? And the problem with graven images is that instead of God making mankind, man makes God. We reverse the, the, we reverse the roles, and everything changes when that happens. It degenerates us. It corrupts our view of God, and in turn, our view of self. And this is the, the attack of the enemy on God's image. Since the beginning, the enemy has been attack, attacking the image of God. And you see that more than ever in our time. Okay? This is true today, and any time you replace God with your own construct, with your own ideas, and you worship the creation rather than the creator, it degenerates you. Your worth as a man and a woman made in his image is defected. It's corrupt. And Israel was commanded to never make an image. Because it reduces God to something less. God made himself. God made images of himself. And you are one of them. And so am I. Amen. God chose to partner with humans to rule the world on his behalf. We are partners with God in his kingdom. Amen. He chose you and me. Praise God. And this is why people are so special. Because we are made in his image. 
We are made male and female to know him and to reflect his glory. And our three young Jewish men, they know God's rules and they have committed to doing it even when they know it's not going to be easy. And are we committed to following God's word even though we know it's not easy? Amen. And then this is the response to the king. Verses 16 to 17. It says this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They took a stance, and their stance was a stance of obedience to God instead of the king. No need to answer you in this matter, he, they said. They are not trying to be rude. They're just saying the matter is settled. I have no excuses to give you. I have nothing to tell you. I don't even need to defend God to you. All I'm saying is this is what we're going to do. We have resolved. They had resolved in their heart that they were not going to bow down and worship this image. There is nothing that you can say. My decision is settled. Verse 17, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery, from the burning fiery furnace. They had total confidence in God's ability to rescue them. And perhaps their, their confidence came from knowing the promises of God. In Isaiah chapter 43 verse 2 that says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. Remember, they grew up knowing God. Amen. God's word was being taught to them. And maybe knowing that God, what God had already done in the past, maybe they've remembered the faithfulness and the goodness of God in the past to save his people, like parting, like the parting of the Red Sea. Maybe they remember and they held on. They weren't doubting God's ability. They were trusting in his ability. Amen? Because in verses 18, they said, they said, what did they say? But if not, or another version, even if, they're not having lack of faith here because they said, if not, even if, it's not a lack of faith. They're not demanding anything from God. Faith should be in God's ability, not in our desired result. God doesn't work according to our wishes, but according to his will. So they're like, wow, they're confidently trusting in God, but even if. That means they're surrendering to God's will and providence. We will do the right thing. We will not conform. We will not bow down. Our God is still worthy to be praised. No matter what you do to my body, no matter what you do to me, 
God is still worthy to be praised. He is still worthy to be worshipped. He's still worthy to be trusted. I don't always understand, God. But I trust that your ways are better than my ways. Your plans are good. Amen? And that's what they were relying on, on the goodness and faithfulness of God, on his ability, but yet willing to surrender to whatever plan God had. Amen. And this shows the strength of character and determination to walk in obedience to the Lord. Will you worship even if fill in the blanks? Will you worship even if, even if money runs out, even if I lose my job, even if I get sick, even if someone I love passes away, even if, will you still worship me? That is the question for us today when we read the scripture, even if, Lord, even if, amen? They were content, they were content to leave the whole matter in God's hands. These three left standing. They were left standing while the masses, I want you to imagine this. These three were left standing while the masses bowed in total obedience to the king. Where did they get such courage? Where did they get such guts? Such great faith. Everything is set up for them to just conform, to give in, to compromise. Everything was in front of them. The king, come on, come on. All you have to do is just bow down. The furnace, the big heat, right? You probably feel it from a distance how hot it was. The big furnace, the music playing. Their fellow citizens, their competitors, all of, all of it in front of them, trying to convince them. Imagine all the fellow citizens. Come on, you can do it. Just bow down. Just bow down. You can go in there. Just bow down. Imagine the pressure that they were feeling to conform. But they responded in great faith. And I'm going to just quickly say about the great faith. Great faith doesn't mean that God is going to save you all the time from the fiery furnace. And we will see that later on. Because Peter, Peter, the apostle, he had great faith, didn't he? And yet he was crucified upside down and burnt. Paul, he had great faith. We, also, we love his, his epistles, don't we? We love reading them and we cherish them. He had great faith. How many of you say he had great faith? He had great faith. But he was beheaded for the faith. Many stood up for their faith, and they went to the grave. So just because, because I think sometimes we think, oh, my prayers wasn't answered, that means I didn't have great faith. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. They had great faith in God's ability. They had confident, confident trust in him. Amen? So everything was set up for them to, to just conform. But how did they get, the question is, how did they get to this point? How did they get such courage to stand firm? But you remember in, in Daniel chapter 1? Do you remember what happened in Daniel chapter 1? 
when, when they were teenagers, they took a stand and purpose in their hearts to do the right thing. They did not compromise even when they were young as teenagers. Remember, they said, I will not eat. Daniel and his three friends, we will not eat the delicacies, the meat, the whatever was offered to them. They refused to do that because why? They did not want to defile God. They wanted to honor God with everything. And we can say, oh, it's just a food choice. No one really cares. Oh, no one really saw. But that decision set their heart and it stuck. Now that they are men and they're being tested again and they are still taking a stand for God. Guess what? Our theme this year is what? Small moments of transformation. And that's what it was. That one decision transformed, can strengthen their faith, strengthen their heart. And then when they were ready for another big test, bigger than the food choice. Do you agree? Yeah. Praise God. It made them stronger, but they resolved, and that's what I want you to remember. They resolved in their heart to obey God no matter the cost. They demonstrated faithful obedience. We are called to obey regardless of our feelings or regardless of the, the possible fallout, regardless of the facts that are against us, regardless of the cost, even if we're still going to obey even if, because the God of heaven is worthy. Amen? Help us not to bow down to the pressures of this world. Help us not to conform to this world. But let us stand firm in faithful obedience to the Lord. Let us resolve in our hearts now, in this moment, before it happens, that we will not turn back, but we choose to obey God rather than men. I am reminded of Matthew chapter 5 that says, don't fear those who can kill the body, but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body. Fear God. Let that be our heart. Let that help us to stand firm. Amen? The aftermath. I am almost done. <laughs> I hope you guys are still with me. Yes. Okay. The aftermath. What happened? What was the fallout of all this? Well, in verse 19, we say that the king was filled with rage. He was so angry. How can you go against me, guys? Don't you get it? I mean what I say. I am ruthless. I will destroy you. And so he was furious, filled with rage. And it says that his expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because you know what? He actually probably really liked them. And he was giving them a chance. Come on, guys. Get with the program. Everybody else is doing it. And so when they didn't, oh, his pride just lit up. And he was angry. He was furious. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it, was ac than, it, than it usually was heated. Sorry, I'm not reading that properly. You know what I mean, right? <laughs> he was full of, fur of anger. 
And he, he responded by saying, just heat that thing up. Even more, even harder. I'm going to tell you who's boss. It's me. It's me. Heat it up. He wasn't thinking very well. If he wanted them to suffer, he would slowly lower it so that they can be in agonizing pain. I'm sorry, that's a terrible, but that's what, if, you know, he was just so angry. Just go in there. Just get them. And he bound them up. And he let them with all his, with all their clothes, their, clo their coats and their tunics. And why did he do that? Because so they can get burned up even quicker. Just burn them all. I don't even want to see them anymore. But guess what? A miracle takes place. Verse 20, 24, then the king Nebuchadnezzar, what happens? He was astonished. Something happened. He didn't think anyone was going to survive because guess what? The men that were actually heating the furnace, they got consumed by the fire. It was so hot. They weren't even in the furnace. Just being outside, they were consumed. So he expected that these men that were thrown into the... So the furnace isn't what we have in our basements. It was like um, huge, tall... <laughs> thing and so you probably have to climb up and then you would like <laughs> drop them in right like do you know what I mean like a factory big burner yeah I'm not explaining that well but you get the picture right so they dropped them in so he didn't expect for a moment that anyone would survive he just automatically thought they would perish but guess what that's I'm gonna say this probably wrong the Septuagint, which is an ancient Greek version of the Jewish scriptures, said that Nebuchadnezzar's attention was caught when he heard the men singing praises. So he's like, oh, good for you. And he just walked away. But then all of a sudden, what? You know, he just, he didn't even want to look back. He was like satisfied at his decision. He didn't even think, you know, not once was he going to turn back. He's like, it's done, it's finished, and he felt satisfied. But all of a sudden, he heard praising. He heard singing, and that's what caught his attention. And so he turns around, and that's when he sees, didn't we not bound three men into the fire, right? Because, but I see, what, four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, doesn't that remind you of uh, Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, how they were praising? Amen. Amen. Wow. I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They entered bound, but they were seen loose walking. And the only thing that burned was the ropes. Wow. What does that tell you? What does God do for us? What does Jesus do for us? He what sets us free from the bondage of sin and death. We were bound by our sin, but Jesus sets us free. Amen. The very thing presuming to destroy them, enable them to walk freely. Sometimes our own trials can be used to set us free. The form of the fourth man he says, is like the son of God. So its appearance was so majestic. His appearance was so radiant, so glorious that it had to be, right? As the pagan king, he had no knowledge of the Messiah to come. He had no knowledge of the son of God. To him, it probably meant a superior God, a superior God than the gods that he was aware of, or even 
He could have thought it was an angel because we see in verse 28, he says that the angel sent, God sent his angel to protect these men. So the identity of the fourth, fourth, fourth person isn't um, clear. Some think it could be an angel, but others believe it was a Christophany, which is a pre-incarnated appearance of Christ. Did I say that right? <laughs> and most suggest the latter, that there, because there are instances in the Old Testament that Jesus appears. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Jesus was literally with them in the worst of their trial. We don't know if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were aware that Jesus' presence was there with them. But he was. He was there. I obviously would say that they had some sort of, they knew that God saved them. Amen? Because no one would survive that. Right? He knew God saved them, but he wasn't aware. They may not have been aware that Jesus was right there. But Nebuchadnezzar saw. Wow. Sometimes we are aware of Jesus' presence in our trials, and sometimes we are not. But he is there, none of the less, because we don't go by our feelings, amen? We don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith in Jesus. And we are not alone in our trials. God promised to be with us. Verses 26 to 27 says that the fire had no power over their bodies. The hair on their heads were not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire came upon them. Not even smell. How many of you have been to a campfire and then when you left, you smelled like fire? Right? It's kind of gross. You're like, oh, I got to wash my hair. But there was no smell of fire on them. And the king responds to this miraculous event in verse 28. He says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yield up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. And then he's like, therefore I make a decree. Again, his decrees. Any people, nation, or language that speak anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb, limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. Whoa, he is ruthless. Even at the revelation, he is ruthless. For there is no, and then he declares, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Remember the challenge he said to God? And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? Remember that? <laughs> he got the answer right there. He answered it himself. Oh, there is no God. Only your God is able to deliver you in this way. He recognized. Neb acknowledged the Lord. But it was still only one impressive God among many gods. He wasn't repenting yet. And you will see that in the chapters to come. So Nebuchadnezzar gives them a new promotion on verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So they got higher positions. 
our faithfulness in trials will also lead, her, lead us to greater things. God rewards our faithfulness. There is going to be the promise of persecution in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus promised that there will be persecution, that we will be hated, that we will be judged, right, for his name's sake. But then he says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And that's for us. We will be saved. God will be with us through it all. So the takeaway for us is we all face trials. We all face trials. We go through moments of fire, but God and God may not always spare us from those fires, but he walks with you. He walks with us. Fire is needed to cut away the things that often bind us. It builds our character, right? Fire purifies Fire removes the impurities of our lives, it sanctifies us, and it sets us free. Amen? Our allegiance will be tested. Will you bow down? Will you cave in to the pressures of society? Will you worship the gods of this world? Or will you stand for God? Or will you bow to the crowd? I pray that our heart is set on obedience to God. Even when it's hard, even when we don't understand that we trust him, that we let our light shine brightly before men. Let us not hide in fear, but let our light shine brightly. Let us not blend in or go with the flow. Let us be courageous to stand for Jesus, even if, even if he doesn't rescue us from the fire. Lord, have mercy on us. Trust in God, even when facts don't always seem on our side. Remember, be still and know that I am God. So the facts were clear. Shadrach, Meshach, I'm probably not saying that, Meshach and Abednego, the facts were in front of them. You're going to burn. You're going to die. But they didn't trust the facts. They trusted God. Amen. I'm going to end with this um, quote from Warren Reber. It says, as we move towards the end of the age, the furnace of opposition will be heated seven times hotter and the pressure to conform will become stronger and stronger. It will take a great deal of grace, prayer, courage, and faith for God's people to stand tall for Christ while others are bowing their knees to the gods of this world. I just want to know, you to know that Jesus saves us from the furnace of God's wrath. That is the greatest miracle that we receive. That even though in this world we have trials, but the greatest miracle that we have received is that Jesus saved us from God's wrath. And he meets us in our suffering. He enters in to rescue us. And I pray that you hold on to that truth, that Jesus is with you. He is with you in your suffering. 
he is with you, but our greatest reward is not here on earth. Our greatest reward is heaven, is being with Jesus for eternity. He is our peace. He is our joy. He is our strength. He is everything beautiful and everything perfect and everything lovely. And I pray that you find encouragement and strength for what you're going through in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, sickness must bow down, diseases must bow down, strongholds must be broken. At the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus. Can you stand up and pray with me, please? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We are so grateful for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord God, for the examples of Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego, that they did not bow their knee, that they did not follow the crowd, but that they were willing, Lord God, to surrender their lives because they knew that you alone, God, were worthy of all worship and praise. And I pray, Father God, as, as we stand here today with our hearts open, Lord, that you help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to resolve in our hearts that we remain in you, that our eyes are on you, Lord, not in the things of this world, not in the comfort of this world, not in the treasures of this world, not in relationships, Lord, not in anything, Lord. But we stand firm in you. We look towards heaven. We look towards the eternal kingdom, Lord. Father, I just pray that you help us, Lord, to stand firm to be bold, to be courageous, to shine your light everywhere we go so that men may see, so that people may see you, Father, that you are good and that you be glorified in everything that we do. Lord, if there are people that are struggling today, I know we had a prayer list today of people that are suffering, that are struggling, and I just pray for them right now, Lord. I pray, Jesus, over their lives, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that they may be comforted knowing that Jesus is with them through the fire, through the storms, that he is with them, Father. I pray, Lord God, that they may find comfort in knowing this truth, Lord, that they may look to you for strength, that they may look to you for encouragement, that they look to you for hope, Lord, and grace in their time of trouble. Father, I just pray for our family here, our church family. Father, help us, Lord, to finish our race strong, to not look back, to not bend down, Lord, but to finish strong knowing that our, our reward is it with you, Lord. Stir up our hearts, Lord. Stir up our hearts, Lord. Stir our hearts up, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.